The fundamental question that these parables ask is this. Is it possible for someone who has fallen away from the faith, a baptized child, to be brought to repentance? And the answer is yes, a thousand times yes. It has to be yes. Or I'm damned. And so are you. Pastor Peter Bender speaking at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference. But if we as earthly parents love our children in spite of the fact that they rebel and maybe wander from home, how much more does the Father's love for us in Christ Jesus never cease? That is the birthright that you and I have been given in our baptism. That is our consolation. You can watch and listen to Pastor Peter Bender's teaching, Making the Case for a Dying Man's Consolation, and all of the presentations from this year's conference for a contribution of $300. It's available via on-demand video stream or podcast. Learn more at issuesetc.org. rejected Jesus. This hymn talks about how Christ, well, for Jesus, there is no honeymoon. He comes, and as soon as he is publicly announced to be the Christ in his baptism, he is opposed not only by the devil, but also by the people he came to save. And he promises his disciples that they will also be opposed. But that promise comes with another promise, and that is, whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc. live on this Monday afternoon, August the 28th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Pastor Sean Denzer will join us here to look forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, we'll spend some time with you via your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. Then, we will remember 4th century and early 5th century North African Bishop Augustine and his mother Monica, remembered by the church on the 27th and 28th of this month. Dr. Carl Beckwith of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, will be our guest. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome. Great to be back, Todd. How do the propers for this coming Sunday, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost, how do they focus on Christ and, and Christ's church? Well, remember that last week was the confession of St. Peter, and connected with that, not only were, was he given the keys, was the church given, you know, whatever is bound on earth is also bound in heaven, and likewise what is loosed and forgiven, but also the promise of Christ that the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, which he himself is going to build. What he's just said about building his church, about it being built on the confession and the ministry of Christ, the Son of the living God, 
is really explained here. How is the church constituted? It's going to be constituted by the very next words of his mouth when he predicts his suffering, his passion, his death, and his resurrection. These are the means by which his church is bought, is paid for, is created, by which he makes Christians, by his suffering and death, his work for our forgiveness. And he's also then showing how these keys have authority on earth, but he's also going to demonstrate the way that his church is going to imitate him. And that's the part that Peter is really going to struggle with, and the Lord is going to rebuke him quite strongly and go on to teach then how the church lives under the cross in this life and why we should be confident and do exactly as he says, to take up our cross daily and deny ourselves and to follow him. How would you describe the gospel focus of the propers? Well, the suffering of the cross is definitely the focus. We hear about Jesus bearing his cross, and then we get to hear why Peter's rebuked, how we also need to. The denial of self, this is part of Christ's way. And that means that suffering is always going to be a companion of the gospel. It's not something you can get rid of. I think we as Lutherans know that the cross has to be part of what we're doing. We can't get rid of the pictures of the crosses. We can't get rid of the preaching of the cross. We need to remember the rest of that. That means also the actual endurance of suffering is normal and ordinary in the church. And uh, certainly the preachers, but also the Christians ought to understand that. And those who have the treasure then also have to set aside all of the counterfeit treasures with it. And that's a big part of the kind of suffering that Jesus sees his church enduring that he prepares us for. As we've heard in other places in Matthew's gospel and in the other gospels, that what the Lord gives endures forever and all the other things don't. So they can be set aside. We should not fall for the allurements of this world, which are trying to shake us off of our true goal and focus, Christ Jesus. You know, I mentioned last week that I thought it was a little strange that we would divide the confession of Peter from what we hear today, the prediction of Christ's passion and the immediate rebuke of Peter, where he went from being blessed to being Satan. But if there's a a good reason for it, it's that these are particularly rich sections. This whole interchange is so rich that we really need at least two days to unpack it and to understand it, to treat it. And that has a lot to do then with what our hearers, as they're preparing for Sunday morning, are going to have to keep in mind that what the sermon might focus on today is probably such a small sliver of the possibilities of the gospel reading alone, not even looking at the rest of the text today. So it could be based on any number of themes and points, but all the rest of these propers today really do hang together quite well. So that's of benefit continually for the hearer as they come to church, as they come on this Sunday every three years, that they would get to understand a little more and maybe look at this Sunday from a different facet, zooming in on one or more scriptures. What are the connecting themes in these propers? Well, we're going to see that enduring much affliction and enduring with what is right, rejecting what is wrong, and then finding redemption, 
all of this has its source and its goal in Christ Jesus. So stick with the Lord is maybe an easy theme of this day. That means to commend ourselves to him. That's actually the way to remain stable in the midst of everything else. It is our sinful human nature's tendency to buckle down and take control of more things ourselves. Imagine that we really are handling it or buckle down and handle it a little better when things get rough, when there's instability. The message of Christ, as he predicts that we, like him, will bear suffering, the message is not to to handle it yourself, but all the more to commend ourselves to him. We'll see that the things of man for which Peter is rebuked are in particular the things of sinners, whether that's their anxieties, whether it's their wicked deeds, or it's the outgrowth and the temptation to buckle when we are confronted or tempted by these matters. Instead, then, we're going to see the Psalms in particular in the Old Testament urging us to leave behind the way of sinners. Paul is going to echo this in his epistle. And rather, leaving the way of sinners behind, we will gain the way of Christ. And that's the way that leads to resurrection and eternal life. The intro, it is from Psalm 37. Read that for us and take us through it. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. This is drawn from Psalm 37, which is a little bit of a longer psalm, but it's one I think our listeners would do well to learn. It's a wisdom psalm, so it's going to speak about the way people are in this world. It's going to speak about the attitudes and the character of a Christian, and particularly, as the very first verse says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. It's going to wrestle with this this problem that we all have experienced that there are others out there who are wicked and everything seems to be going right with them at our expense. So how should our actual response be to that? Should we lose hope? Should we give up? Should we give in, maybe? And this psalm is going to urge us not to. It starts with a verse that is probably well known and oft misunderstood, and that is, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. It sounds like a kind of vending machine thing. You put in your two cents and the Lord will give you anything you want. That this is kind of a formula, a magic word, so to speak, that if you delight in your Lord, then everything else will be perfect. So he's really just the means to an end for us. That is far from the truth, as you'll see in the psalm, which is taking up the question of why are things not going my way? So that's already a given you notice it's not something that might befall us as we often react when affliction strikes is, where did this come from? I never saw this coming. A a Christian really can never afford to have that attitude. Why me? Uh, Because the Lord has predicted it in advance. And he said to St. Peter today that he shouldn't expect even that Christ would run away or, or be absent all difficulties. So certainly the disciple cannot be above his master. 
But what this says, in fact, is the Lord is to be our desire. He's the one that we should be loyal to, I suppose. But above all, the one we should trust because his promises are true, because he rescues us and delivers us and forgives us. And in Christ Jesus has made a way to eternal life, has brought us back to himself. Now, to delight in him means to carry on with him. It doesn't mean to not need him anymore, but it means to stick close to him and to forsake all others and remain united to him. If I can borrow from the beautiful marriage rite, marriage is a picture of Christ and his bride, the church. So the church has to stick very close to her Lord. And notice, if you delight yourself in him, if you make him your delight, so to speak, then the Lord will give you exactly what you desire, which is himself. He won't withhold anything of himself from those who delight in him, those who trust in him, those who are following in his ways. So if you delight in him, then you will have your heart's desire. You'll have him, and having him, you will have all that you need. As we look at the rest of the passages that are drawn from Psalm 37, I think this word commit or commend, which we know well from the morning and evening prayers that Luther has given us, it's such an important word for us that it not only at the end of the day that we put everything to rest in the Lord and ask his forgiveness on the day past, but also in the morning that we would, before we've set to work, before we've done all our things to make ensure that this day can go exactly as planned and in our control and without any hiccups. Before all of that, we recognize that we belong to the Lord, that he's our delight, and therefore we're going to entrust even this day to him. Trust him and he will act, it says, and he's going to bring forth our righteousness as the light. So what does this mean? Well, in Christ, we're going to have security. That's the way his way is. To commend ourselves to him is to rest surely in him. It means also kind of the contrary, that we will set aside whatever is contrary to him. That's actually what leads to insecurity. So I guess if you're looking for an active thing that the Christian is engaged in, it's probably going to be this active denying ourselves, putting aside these sinful tendencies in us and, and not walking in the way of sinners, as Psalm 1 says. And it will produce a righteousness then that is actually visible as the light that can be known. So that's how we uh, kind of respond to the evildoers. Rather than fretting over them and being worried, we'll do exactly what Peter says in his epistle. We'll entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while doing good. Pastor John Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The Collect for the coming Sunday is next. How do the global flood, circumcision, and the Israelites wandering in the wilderness foreshadow the baptismal flood in Christ? Find out in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. This new Bible study is published by Concordia Publishing House, their phone number 1-800-325-3040, or find out more about The Baptismal River at issuesetc.org. The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. In a child's life, meaningful relationships matter when it comes to academic development and spiritual nurture. In Lutheran schools, students know they are uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image. Each day in over 1,800 Lutheran schools, children experience a rich, academic, loving, and Christ-centered environment where they can explore and develop their God-given talents and abilities. To find a Lutheran school near you, 
visit lcms.org schools. Preaching Christ and Him Crucified. You're listening to Issues Etc. Is your child struggling at school? Are you thinking about homeschooling? Would you like help knowing what to teach and how to teach it? The Simply Classical curriculum from Memoria Press provides an enriching, step-by-step classical Christian education for students who have autism, learning or behavioral difficulties, ADHD, and more. You'll find everything you need, including daily lesson plans to guide your way. Learn more at simplyclassical.com. Use LPR23 to save on your order. simplyclassical.com. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, what is the collect for the coming Sunday? Almighty God, your Son willingly endured the agony and shame of the cross for our redemption. Grant us courage to take up our cross daily and follow him wherever he leads through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. By the way, every once in a while, the termination changes on colics. If you haven't noticed that, you can look forward to that this Sunday. Since we mentioned Jesus in the prayer, that's why we add that phrase, the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, I don't know if the hymnal actually is very consistent always. I think it'd be wise if it were made consistent so we could understand the principle behind it. But at least now you as a hearer know that. This is a fairly simple and direct prayer, and I I suppose it it lays out what Jesus has done and what the significance is that he has borne the cross and significance is for our redemption. But then it goes on also to say, let us follow the example that is laid out in that. In this case, it is taking up our cross after him. And that's drawn almost word for word, paraphrasing the gospel reading that we should take up our cross and follow him. The daily, by the way, comes from St. Luke's parallel gospel, uh, where he adds the word daily. The suggestion that Jesus' cross means agony or shame also indicates something about our crosses, which is very much at the heart of what Jesus is saying here, that as just as he has a cross, the cross, we should say, the, the cross that is an atoning sacrifice, so our living sacrifices, our mortification, will be all sorts of crosses that are personal to us. They won't be to redeem the world. They won't even be to redeem ourselves, but they will be suffering that could be of great pain and sorrow or simply of shame, of ridicule of those around us. And that certainly is what we'll see in the Old Testament reading especially. So we should not be surprised at that. And we should take it up willingly as we have the example of Christ Jesus. Willingly he did this very much pointing to his last hours in his passion, as the reading does as well. Now, when we see the word courage here, that we may have courage to take up our cross, 
that is a, precisely the word for it. I, I would like you to hear this and to pray this as a synonym and as a word that's living in the orbit of faith. We don't mean necessarily that this is simply a good work uh, in isolation, but it's particularly a good work and a good disposition that is born of trust in the promises of God. Um, that's what it means then to commend ourselves to him in the first place, is that hearing that he has done all this to redeem us, that he's made us his own, then we also resolve that we're not going to act contrary to that or run away from it, but we're going to commend ourselves to him, knowing that if he has our salvation taken care of, he'll also have everything else well in order also. You mentioned the Old Testament reading. It's Jeremiah 15, beginning at verse 15. Read that for us. O oh Lord, you know, remember me and visit me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. This is Jeremiah speaking, by the way. In your forbearance, take me not away. Know that for your sake I bear reproach. Your words were found and I ate them. Your words became to me a joy and a delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. O oh Lord God of hosts, I did not sit in the company of revelers, nor did I rejoice. I sat alone because your hand was upon me, for you had filled me with indignation. Why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. And I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless. Okay, so this in context is Jeremiah kind of ready to hang it up because just as the Lord predicted, nobody believes or hears or heeds his message, and that wears on him as a prophet. So he says, I've been doing this word, I've taken the scroll and eaten it, I've made it the delight, and I haven't been sitting, falling in with my persecutors, I haven't been giving up, I wish you would take vengeance on them, but I want to know why you won't heal me from this, why won't you make it go away? And the Lord says, repent of this, return to me, and don't lose heart, but continue on, and gives the promise that he will rescue and deliver, and in fact, make it so that the enemies don't prevail over him. So the message here is to bear up under fire, repenting of the desire also to give up, which plagues us. I have a question, I guess, as I look at this, was this chosen for Peter or for Jesus? I suppose there's a way in which Peter was called to repentance to be told that he has in mind the things of Satan and of men and not of God. Or is it chosen to speak of Jesus? Now, we know that Jesus had no sin, and yet Jesus certainly, according to his human nature, asked his father and prayed in the garden, right? Don't let this cup have to be drunk by me. If possible, let it pass for me. Now, I've always heard this growing up that the devil is there in the garden and that we should understand this whole conversation as a, another temptation that Jesus is bearing, the temptation above all to give up his mission. 
And some have mentioned that it is the voice of the devil also that is heard at the cross when the crowds cry out, come down from the cross. If the Lord loves you, he should take you off this cross and and you shouldn't go through with this. Well, if that's true, this is a strong connecting point for that notion. You see the way Jeremiah wants to give up and he's called to continue by the Lord. I suppose if there were the call from Peter that Jesus should not do the things he had predicted, he has to stay firm in that. And then there's an example for us also to do that. There's a great connection to where Jeremiah says, you should seek out vengeance on my persecutors. This is exactly what we'll see in our epistle where Paul says, why don't you leave it to God to seek out vengeance? We don't have to seek that ourselves. But you see in this how gospel and lament with struggle are interwoven. So even Jeremiah is citing the Lord's promises and yet lamenting his situation. This is good. A Christian ought to take the promises of God and use them that to comfort their own conscience and remind themselves of the promises that God has made. So also we see that the Lord breaks in and calls both to repentance and to faith, as he always does. So he calls Jeremiah to repentance. He says, continue in what's precious, that is the word of God, not the word of men. But he doesn't promise that everybody's going to love Jeremiah and be kindly disposed to him and enjoy his word, you might say. Nevertheless, the Lord promises to deliver Jeremiah and to remain with him. And so it really sets up the gospel reading that we're about to hear in this way, that our path goes through the cross. It doesn't go around it. But this actually is the way of resurrection and redemption. The Lord is going to deliver us out of the hand of the wicked. He's going to redeem us from the grasp of the ruthless. His promise is not that he'll make us a cannon to blast our enemies away. His promise is that he'll make us like a fortified bronze wall that though the enemies crash against it, they can't tear it down. That's what it means to be rooted in Christ Jesus, to die with him even, so that we will be raised never to die again. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, walking through the propers for the coming Sunday, the 14th Sunday after Pentecost. We'll be at the Psalm, Psalm 26, next. If you were unable to attend this year's Making the Case conference, we have good news for you. We've produced a recording of each of the speaker's presentations all of the worship services, and the hymn sing. You can watch an on-demand video stream or download a podcast for a contribution of $300 to Issues Etc. by Labor Day. Learn more at issuesetc.org or make your $300 check payable to Issues Etc. and send it to Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. St. Peter encourages us, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. 
That is where we get the Greek word for apologetics, that is to defend the Christian faith. The September issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the topics of apologetics and archaeology and discusses both of them in detail with articles from Paul Meyer, Sarah Rinsel, Mark Meal, and David Adams. To pick up your copy, visit cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Concordia University Chicago invites all high school students to attend the annual Careers for Christ weekend in person on our beautiful campus in River Forest. Careers for Christ is November 3rd through the 5th. You'll have the opportunity to learn about professional church vocations while having fun with CUC staff, faculty, and students. For more information, visit cuchicago.edu forward slash C, the number four C. That is cuchicago.edu forward slash C. The number four, C. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. The psalm for this coming Sunday is the prayer in Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord. I've walked in my integrity. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with the men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers. I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men, in whose hands are evil devices, whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord." So I'll just admit this is something that I'm still wrestling with as I pray the Psalms, the, the interesting contrast between all the prayers that say, deliver me in your righteousness, O Lord, or deliver me in your faithfulness and integrity, and all the Psalms that do just like this one does and say, vindicate me or deliver me according to my righteousness and my integrity, which I don't think is the way we are used to praying at all. Now, we need to believe the scriptures, and there's no contradiction here to say, vindicate me. That means my integrity is suspect. Because I have integrity, that means it's not suspect. But also prove and test me to see if there's anything that has gone wicked in me. Uh, all of this is right. Uh, in fact, verse 6 and 7, probably 8 too, are very familiar with us. Verse 8 is from one of the responsories that we sing often in matins. And verse 6 and 7 are the traditional prayer that a pastor prays when he washes his hands before the service of the sacrament. He says, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord. Makes sense. Also that he's going to proclaim aloud thanksgiving, Eucharist, and tell of all God's wondrous deeds. Certainly, this is the proclamation, this is the prayers, this is chiefly what the words of institution are proclaiming, his wondrous deed of salvation, the very one that Jesus in our gospel today predicts. 
But I think Christians who are listening also ought to wrestle with the psalm because it's a difficult and strange thing for us to pray, vindicate me, God, vindicate me because I am keeping your law. And this is not wrong. This is not actually a smug prayer trying to say, yeah, I've got it all right, and these guys have it all wrong, so do something about that, Lord. It is a godly thing to desire what is good, what the Lord has laid out. To desire, I mean, it starts at the right place, doesn't it? The habitation of his house, his altar, the place from which his atoning sacrifice and, like it says in verse 11, his grace comes from, that redeems us, that buys us back from all sins, that has made us his own. So that in due course, by the Holy Spirit's aid, we also desire what the Lord gives and what is good. And we despise, we are increasingly frustrated with all of the wickedness we see around us that we don't want to have anything to do with, and yet, in fact, would attack us. And I think that's especially helpful to see that in the Old Testament, which this is commenting on, Jeremiah is not necessarily faced with the difficulty of his own sin tempting him, which he is trying to put down and avoid and do what's right instead. But it's dealing with those outside of the church that despise the church, that in fact hate us because we love what is good. So we will learn, first of all, to pray this with Jesus, that he's the one who can pray this without any quavering to say, I'm washing my hands for no purpose in innocence already because I have perfect integrity. Christ has that. In him you can pray this, even if your integrity is suspect. But then we should learn to delight in his ways. We should learn to abhor evil, as we'll hear in a second in the epistle, and gain confidence that we may pray this also in our own voice, so to speak, not arrogantly or boastingly, but in genuine humility and because we love his habitation and we don't want to have anything to do with those who would tear it down. What do we find as we continue through the book of Romans in this coming Sunday's epistle? Well, I think expounding a little bit the the heading that we had from last week about living sacrifices, we're going to present our whole lives, our bodies as that. And that means to do both what is to be avoided, that we should not be conformed to this world's way of thinking, but also rather what we should pursue as Christians. That means to, to do our works according to the grace given by God in our vocations, discerning from his word what is good and perfect, what his will really is. So we have a little bit of a short, brief statements kind of expounding on that for a bit. I think that makes it kind of a hard section to comment on, but it's much more like the Proverbs where it's a cluster of these little pithy sayings, short, direct commands and urgings and warnings that all form kind of a cloud of related attitudes and often build on what was said before so that when all of them are together or when you find one aspect in particular that speaks to the trouble or the difficulty or the affliction or the temptation that you're facing, you'll find a number of other attitudes and real character aspects that would be the antidote to these temptations in Christ Jesus. Beginning of verse 9, Paul writes, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. 
Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Oh, there's a number of little segments that do make themselves known. I think in particular verse 12, which says, Rejoice in hope. Notice that's future-oriented faith, and particularly the hope of the resurrection. That is what should give us patience in the midst of tribulation. And something that ought to go always with true affliction is to take our anxieties to the Lord in lamentation, in all sorts of prayer. And then there's a number of things that really comment on the Lord's own words to turn the other cheek, or you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, but I tell you, uh, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And in some ways that might seem almost contradictory to the, I hate the assembly of the evildoers, I'm not going to sit down with the wicked that we heard earlier. I think that's all bound together again when we look at verse 19 and 20, that we see the Lord is the one who is to have vengeance. Therefore, if we're going to pray a psalm seeking our enemies to be done away with, we're going to leave that in the Lord's hands. That sort of imprecation is right to, to give them over to the Lord. And for our part then, to continue doing good. I mentioned this passage from First Peter already, but I think it bears repeating that we should entrust ourselves to a faithful creator while continuing in good. And that's really the summary statement, both at the beginning, love be genuine, abhor evil, do what is good and hold fast to it. Likewise, in verse 21, don't be overcome by evil. Fret not yourself because of evildoers from the intro, but overcome evil with good. What are the gradual and verse for this coming Sunday? The gradual and verse fit very well for this Sunday. The gradual, remember, is kind of a little seasonal thing here in the summer months, but it really fits and lands today. Fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And the verse is quite similar, actually. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Fear the Lord right away. Fear the Lord, you his saints. This means and fear him only, right? This was the eternal gospel preached by the angel in Revelation. Fear God and give him glory alone. That'll be important as we look at what might have to be given up, what things ought to be set aside, because Christ is our all in all. And that's what the rest of this passage from Psalm 34 and Psalm 19 really do say well, that those who fear him even though they cast every other idol away, actually have lost nothing. To borrow from what 
Paul writes in Philippians, I consider all those things loss as long as I have the surpassing gain of Christ Jesus my Lord, in whom I have the resurrection of the dead and the forgiveness of sins and everything that I could possibly need. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Uh, Don't expect to avoid the cross, as Peter dared to suggest today, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. You could see that in the Old Testament reading with Jeremiah. We see it in Christ Jesus. The sort of deliverance that Christ is awaiting is the resurrection. And then also for us, that's the sort of deliverance we're after too. We could do everything we can in our power to gain control in order to save our life only. But as Jesus says in the gospel, and we'll look at it in a moment, that would actually not save anything of our own life. It would be impossible to do that, but the questing after that life is what's being rebuked. To take an active quest to save our own situation at all cost cannot be done while maintaining trust in God. It's very similar to what he says when he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon are all the things, money being the chiefest of them, that we look to for security to keep ourselves going in this life. God is the one who takes care of that. Just because he works through the money doesn't need mean that he needs us to assemble it all for him in order for his care to kick in. Rather, we should never do what is wrong to secure ourselves, but we want to stick with what God has commanded we want to trust him to bless us for doing what is right and for trusting in him, even when it seems almost certain that it won't go. And the promise is right here. If you lose your life for his sake, you will find it. Psalm 37 says almost exactly the same thing. Who will the Lord not rescue? I've never seen him abandon somebody like this. It won't be the case. Pastor John Denzer is our guest, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. We'll come to the Gospel of Matthew 16 next. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red Journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. The cross is our theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Here's a little bit from the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for August, the Baptismal River, studying the sacrament throughout Scripture. Baptism answers the question, how do we become joined to the promise? The promise hasn't really changed. God still brings his people 
into his family by means of his promise. In the Old Testament, that promise was bound to circumcision. In the New Testament, that promise is bound instead to baptism. We receive the Spirit in baptism, so everything that is associated with the Spirit becomes true for us as well. Find out more about the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Baptismal River, Studying the Sacrament Throughout Scripture. You can find a link to that book at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order it, 1-800-325-3040, 1-800-325-3040, ask for The Baptismal River. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. We come to the gospel reading in Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. From that time, that's the time that Peter made his confession. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the Gospel of the Lord. The simple uh, overarching point of this exchange with Peter and Jesus is that it is necessary to suffer as a Christian, that it is going to happen. And uh, when it happens, it is important that we don't give up and we aren't surprised to be opposed. Again, Peter's epistle, notice he must have learned this lesson to write First Peter, is all about bearing up under suffering. And I especially find the passage pertinent when he says, don't be surprised when the fiery trial comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening. Nothing strange about it. The Lord had predicted it. This is exactly what Christians bear and do. This is what our Lord did. We, as his disciples, will follow after our master. But also, because this is the truth, flack over the target, they say, right? Because this is the Lord's truth, you can expect a world that is hostile to him to be hostile to us. Now, notice when Jesus predicts his passion, which that could be the topic of a sermon all its own, the fact that Jesus predicts his passion three times, his suffering shows its significance in the course of the gospel and for our faith but also that he predicts his resurrection at the same time. So this is why there can be no pretending during Holy Week as if we don't know the end of the story. The disciples themselves should not have been surprised or disbelieving or shocked or any of that uh, when Christ died and was in the tomb. And then when the women came and told them, we've heard reports that he's risen from the dead. 
No, they should have known this already. Why does Jesus go through all this trouble to tell them this in advance? It's so that they can take hope and confidence from it. And it is also true for us. Uh, We have the promise of our resurrection by virtue of what Christ has accomplished in his death and resurrection. That is of comfort to us. That is what it means to gain your life, to save it even as you lose it. So this is what should urge us not to give up in the face of difficulty and affliction, but to continue and to bear suffering for his sake. So we see that Christ's message is opposed, sadly here, even by his own disciple Peter. And he is opposed by chief priests and Pharisees and everybody else, as, of course, he's going to increasingly suffer throughout the gospel until finally he is killed in Holy Week. Now, at the end of it, I'm going to come back to the cross and bearing that in a second. At the end of it, he says that uh, when the Son of Man comes, that he is going to repay each person according to what he has done. That probably needs a little explaining, but I think when we take it in context, it's understood better. Most of all, the things done are to be heeding the way that the Lord has laid out. That's expansive, right? So what is the Lord's way? Let's rehearse at least a few of the aspects of it. One, his way leads through repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So that's a big part of what it means to deny yourself, or as we looked, heard in Jeremiah, that he would call us to return to him, to confess our sins, to be forgiven, to return to his way, to return to the task that he's laid out to us. All of this is part of repentance, forgiveness of sins, and if you'd like to add the fruits of repentance to that, go for it, as the Augsburg Confession says. That's how you find life. Likewise, his way then leads through suffering and opposition, which means that we must not give up and we must not give in to those forces that oppose. And his way then subordinates all the other concerns in this life to him. Now, whether that's wicked, evil things or even the temporal good things. For this, we only need to consider the the parable of the sower that we've heard already, how some are choked out by the cares and riches of this world, even as some are afflicted by all sorts of wicked temptations. The Lord wants us to subordinate all of those concerns to clinging to his word, the thing that produces a harvest and that endures. Let's go back then before we've lost it to this deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. This is an enigmatic statement for us as Christians, and it ought to be. And we we ought not miss the depth of it just because of its familiarity. So the first thing is to deny yourself. Acknowledges something about ourself, which is that we have a sinful nature, that our will is by no means automatically or to be assumed to be in conformity with Christ Jesus. Consider last week's epistle, right? We are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed, discerning the Lord's will according to his word by the renewing of our minds. But that needs to be renewed because of the fall into sin. Therefore, by no means do we just think that whatever feels right to us, whatever seems good in the moment, whatever looks like a good idea is probably to be trusted, that kind of gut instinct understanding of right and wrong. That's been tainted in this world. It's been corrupted by sin so that our will often doesn't want 
uh, what the Lord wants. We had this just on display with Peter rebuking Jesus for his death and resurrection, the very thing for which he came. So that's what deny yourself means. And, and I think that's very fruitful in an age that we live in where we're questing after identity, we're questing after our true selves. And some people have just taken up the whole doctrine that only a person can tell themselves who they are and that the main goal in life should be to grow into ourselves and to discover ourselves and to be true to ourselves. The message of the gospel, as you see right here, is the opposite of that. It tells us that we may very well need to deny ourselves in favor of Christ Jesus. He will show us who we truly are in him, redeemed and made perfect. The second half, to take up our cross, might be a little surprising. And I admit my own hesitance uh, to, to say that I have borne a cross in any way. I look at what Jesus has done for me. I recognize theologically that he's done it in my place to bear the punishment that rightly ought to be mine for my sins, as so many of our Lutheran Lenten hymns sing. I just would really hesitate to call what I bear as suffering the cross. But the scriptures are replete with examples of this. First Peter, like we said, Paul and lots of his epistles, including Philippians, talks about sharing in the sufferings of Christ Jesus. So one, we shouldn't be afraid to see that at least some of our afflictions for his name's sake must be connected and, and rightly then have this name cross. Now, some will grab onto that and say, whoever loses his life for my sake, or I believe it says in Luke, for the sake of the gospel, and to limit that only to martyrs, right? Only to those who bear direct persecution because they're preaching about Christ or they're preaching about the gospel. And I suppose that would eliminate two things. Some would say you can't be persecuted for his name's sake if you're only being persecuted because you're standing up for what is right in the realm of the law. Like I think the one that comes to mind most clearly is what marriage really is according to God. All Christians at this point are called to stand up for that in small ways as well as in big ways from time to time. And I suppose some would argue, well, you're not really bearing a cross there because it's not for his gospel. It's not for his namesake. Or the other one I think that is a struggle for people is we are hesitant to reduce Christ's cross and anything connected with it to all of our little insignificances, our little inconveniences that we bear my illnesses, my sufferings. This is a common phrase. People say, well, that's my cross to bear. And often it's about stuff that seems so silly and trivial that uh, you wonder whether they really mean it's a cross. I would encourage Christians to take this promise of Christ and cling to it, especially since it's promising that you're going to bear suffering. Therefore, you should take this promise and delight in it. He says he joins our sufferings to his cross. Yes, we don't always have the privilege to choose which doctrine, like the doctrine of the gospel or the doctrine of justification by grace through faith, as the reason why people hate us. Jeremiah was opposed for everything he said, and his temptation was to change the message. Likewise, we don't get to choose what they call us a bigot or a hateful person for. It might not be the gospel. It might be the law 
that is preparatory for the gospel. We'd rather be talking about the forgiveness of sins, but we can't even get there because no one will acknowledge something as a sin. They refuse to deny themselves and trust in Christ. That is still a cross. And I think then for all of the, what we would be tempted to call trivial difficulties in this life, whether they're things that we have caused by our direct sins, or whether they're the ramifications of sin in this world, things like cancers and illnesses and diseases and chronic pains, which on the one hand, yes, I don't want to call those crosses in the sense that they are uh, such a great excruciating pain worthy to be compared with Christ's death for the sins of mankind. But the Lord has invited us to do actually exactly that. Everything that is contrary to his will, everything that is contrary to the way he created this world, which absolutely includes illnesses and death and sorrow and grief, as well as those things in ourselves that we must fight against, temptations, sin, cravings, desires, and even the ramifications of our sins that, that play out in the world. These are things that a Christian rightly confesses against by bearing them, by enduring them, by struggling against them, depending on which they are, and never coming to terms with them. We don't give in to our temptations. We don't give in to our enemies so they will stop attacking us. We don't give in to sin. And we don't give in to the notion that this world ought to be full of death and decay and destruction. We remember that the Lord said, this is good. My creation is very good, in fact. And therefore, even death itself is not a blessed or good thing. It's an enemy. And we remember it as a defeated enemy through Christ's death and resurrection. Therefore, this is the sense in which we bear these crosses, however seemingly trivial, all the way up to and absolutely including standing firm and facing death for the confession of Christ Jesus, our Savior. All of this is to be born according to his word, trusting in him. We should never give up or give in. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. You're very welcome. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., we'll go through listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. Then we will be remembering late 4th and early 5th century North African Bishop Augustine and his mother, Monica, with Dr. Carl Beckwith of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.